You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, Hannies. It's Amiria Sai, and you're back for season two of The Take On. Hi, y'all. It's Amir Yasai. You're back with The Take On. And yes, we're back for another week, but we were doing every other week. But I mean, I have so many amazing guests, so I just had to come back again. Listen, like everyone else, I'm obsessed with TikTok. So I'm doing TikTok finds where I you know, look for profiles that really speak to me. And Kendall Mariah was definitely one of them. Um, hi, Kendall. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, Amir. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I mean, I came across your profile because, you know, there was that video that went viral um, of yeah. your daughter, Zadie, dancing, like tap dancing. And, you know, it was it was such an amazing video. Like it just like made me so happy. And I don't know, I was just like, oh, this is amazing. But there were a lot of people that kind of there was a lot of hate, too. I was shocked. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm always shocked when I love something and then people hate it. I'm like, what's going on? Like, am I missing something? Can you talk to me a little bit about why that video kind of it, it got both sides of the aisle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just a little bit of background. I did what many people did in the pandemic. You know, I downloaded TikTok, um, stuck at home. What else to do? Right. And so this was back in last March. And I ha- approached TikTok as I've approached every social media platform since the back in the days of Xenga and MySpace, if you remember those. Oh my God, MySpace. <laughs> yes. And so, and that's just, I share everything, every aspect of my life, whether it is the professional work I do, the spirituality side of it, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the struggles with infertility and the adoption journey. And so, I didn't go into TikTok thinking I was going to go viral or become a content creator. That was not my prerogative. My husband was bored and I needed a creative outlet. And TikTok, Mm -hmm. at least from my 14-year-old nephew's perspective, was the best place to do it. So I downloaded the app and just, you know, stalked it for a few weeks before I ever posted a video. And quickly things just kind of took off. And so I had several videos to go viral over the summer. And, you know, hit a hundred thousand within the first six months, which was wild, but a steady growth. And so I've never posted a video that went viral on TikTok from the beginning that I didn't receive some hate on. And so there's mm-hmm. some things, especially as adoptive parents, you just come to understand and expect really sadly. And that's that some people do not agree with white people adopting black children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's people that are white and people are, that are black that don't agree with that. And mm-hmm. a lot of it that I've learned both through the adoption process and our personal journey is just from their lack of understanding of the adoption process itself. And so we knew that. I, I've kind of grown callous to that comment specifically. Um, but when this video took off, it was actually a very delayed response, which was the very interesting thing about TikTok. You know, if something's going to blow up on Instagram or Facebook, it's going to happen in the first 24 or 48 hours. But with TikTok, I posted that video two weeks prior to ever getting the first message from a follower that said, hey, this guy has posted this on Twitter. Just want to let you know. And so um, the, the guy that, the verified account that shared it is someone with a disposition who clearly does not believe that white people should adopt black children. And Mm -hmm. so the onslaught of his followers also do not agree. Uh, But it's a video of my daughter who is just over a year old tap dancing. And I grew up in a dancing family. I tapped for over 20 years and it was just a normal life thing for me, you know, no different than when I bought her her first pair of Air Force Ones or when (laughs) I bought her, you know, her first purse. Like it was, it was the same thing in my mind, of course. And none of my black friends or even Zadie's biological family was triggered by, you know, it was up for two weeks. They all had commented in support of it. And so I was really, really punched in the gut and shocked Mm -hmm. when someone of that magnitude, you know, starts sharing it and kind of poking the bear. Wow. And who was that, the, the Twitter follower? Tariq Nasheed. And I'm not even sure if I'm saying that specifically mm. correctly. Okay. I, but I've, I've never heard of you. I hadn't either. And so that was mm. something I kind of dug in first for research because, you know, the very human, petty side of me 
just wanted to, you know, respond back and be like, you don't know who you're talking to. You need to get mm-hmm. some context and not just look at one video and, you know, try to justify a whole opinion on it. Um, th- that's just not how we as adults do things. You know, that that's what I wanted to respond in. But I went and just read a bunch of his tweets from the past and kind of his record. And his Twitter even says that he's a race baiter. So I knew any kind of response, whether it was kind, whether it was graceful, or if it was petty, there would have been no winning him over. You know, there would have been there was no going to convince him that I wasn't the monster that his followers already believed me to be. So I, I didn't respond. I, you know, I still haven't responded to him in any sort of way because I think he is a race baiter and a clout chaser. And, you know, he just saw somebody who is on the up and up with some influence and was like, you know what, I'm going to try to spin this for myself and my following. And I just wasn't going to take the bait. I mean, that's smart. I mean, you did your research. And isn't it funny that these kind of people always look at one or maybe even two videos and then decide they know who the person is? Um, that's yeah, a funny absolutely. Um, you know, did were you able to do a little bit of research? Because there is, you know, listen, again, with Zadie being a child of color and, you know, yeah. wearing the tap shoes, there is a connection to minstrel shows. So yes. there is, you know, it's not, it's not really a big jump to that. But the fact of the matter is, there's this idea that as white parents, you're forcing her to wear tap, right. tap shoes. Right. If anyone has children or, you know, I have a lot of nephews, you can't make a one-year-old do anything. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm over. Listen, she is at a friend's house right now while I'm doing this interview in mm-hmm. a sweatshirt that is two sizes too small but wouldn't put on anything else. And I'm like, well, she's going to have a crop top on for this morning. <laughs> I mean, because, because you can't. There's no rationalizing yeah. with yeah. them. And from the very beginning, Zeddy has loved to dance. And so I'll just say that once again, she comes from a family of dancers on her biological parents' side too. So mm-hmm. like it, it was a, you know, thoughtless purchase, but of course in doing research and I'll say that I've been very cognizant before and have had followers point things out before that says, like, I know your intentions aren't bad, but just pay attention to this. Like I had a video back in the summer that he reached into the grocery cart, grabbed a grape, right, you know, right out of the bag and just try to pop it in her mouth, mm-hmm. you know, cute moment but it was right in front of the stand of watermelons and Mm. i I only saw the grapes in thinking about how cute the video was but a a follower quickly said somebody's going to take this out of context and they just quietly dm me you know within a few minutes of me putting it up i took it down nobody's ever seen it seen it again since i deleted it i mean it wasn't even up 10 minutes and so so like i'm all for being you know corrected and you know checked um and I know that being a adoptive parent of a child of color, it's going to be a journey and a learning experience for the rest of my life. As soon as, mm-hmm. you know, we found out that Zeddy was African-American, that we were chosen by an African-American mother, my husband and I volunteered for a natural hair care class because we know there's going to be natural knowledge gaps. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, there have been many things that we have taken consideration that people will probably kind of roll their eyes out, you know, especially growing up in the South, like, it is not uncommon for people to have pictures like photographs taken like in a cotton field or to have cotton decorations in their house. That's something clearly that like we're now very cognizant of and is a no, a no go for us. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the idea of the minstrel minstrel shows and, you know, the Mr. Bojangles comments was never anything I had put in the negative context in this way because growing up as a tap dancer and as a family who's been involved with musical theater and just learning about history um and this probably comes from you know a very whitewashed version of it or a romanticized version it had never been seen or taught to me in a negative connotation you know i'd seen the mr bojangles performance as you know the first you know african-american person to ever have you know such a large role that wasn't a black face, you know, which was huge. And, um, and so I had seen it and heard it all in those contexts, but never really drew the connection to, you know, people being upset with putting a child in a tap class in general, because once again, growing up as a dancer, I knew plenty of black friends who danced, you know, I'm from North Carolina, the Miss North Carolina that is current right now. She is a beautiful, talented black young woman 
who is a tap dancer. So mm-hmm. it it really didn't cross my mind. And it wasn't until deep, deep, deep research that my husband and I had to really try to gain some context because, you know, I was like, these people got to be coming from some kind of place of hurt. Like, you don't say some of the things that they said if there wasn't something that triggered them in a way that was like, oh, this is really bad. You know, like you don't say those things without there being some kind of history of it. And, you know, so we talked to our friends and, you know, we definitely could see how it could be taken completely out of context uh, and seen wrongly, especially as my mom and my husband are standing there, especially so close. Uh, But the video is of her just discovering the difference between tapping on the carpet versus the tile floor in her tiny little bathroom. And so it's, of course, been a learning experience. But the interesting thing has been as as much hate and disdain that we've received from it and discussed, you know, I've probably received 10 times that amount of support from black people, from people of color, from people who are like, no, this is important, you know, representation from people that are, you know, teachers of the arts, whether that is dance or singing, um, that just says getting a child involved early if they show interest in it is important. And so that's the reason when I just didn't take it, take it down um, because I knew that that also was kind of playing into his race baiting thing and him trying to have, you know, some control of my narrative. Uh, Absolutely. And, and he has a history of that um, with trying to control women specifically narratives. And mm. so, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a little too headstrong and a little too confident in who I am and, and the condition of my heart to allow someone else try to spin that because at the end of the day, I don't have to answer him. You know, I don't have to reply to him. I don't have to explain myself to him, but as long as the people who care about us and that we care about family wise, you know, extended family wise, Zadie's biological family, the followers who have followed from the beginning, you know, we're in understanding together and they acknowledge that we're learning and trying and we're having an open dialogue about it. I actually think that it, it can be a positive process and part of the journey. Like if, if I were to delete it, it would, we would turn into one of those kind of YouTube or influencing families that ignores the hard stuff or the bad stuff. And, you know, I'm not too proud to admit when I'm wrong or when I need to learn. And so I think deleting it would have said, oh, you know, you're right. You know, I, I screwed up um, and then act like it never happened. And that tends to be the pattern that a lot of people take. Right. Which I don't think serves anyone. Like uh, I've had like like you, I've had followers message me and be like, oh, that's inappropriate or you went too far. And in those moments, I'm willing to delete. But there are moments where, you know, me being a queer Muslim, I have people telling me to delete the video. Yeah. No, I'm taking up space. And right. I think that it's important that when it speaks to you to, to follow that. Right. And, and, you know, I want to go back a little bit to what you said about Bojangles. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because that that is like, you know, the number one kind of racist trope that everyone goes back to. Mm-hmm. But when it came out, like you said, it was something that was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Again, it, does, it hasn't aged well. And it's right. not something that Absolutely. it's, you know, and, it, and again, it's like cotton field, you know, plantation photo shoots. None of that stuff has aged well. Mm-hmm. But you have to also acknowledge where our culture is going. Right. So the South has adjusted and in many ways has it, but yeah. so has California. Like yeah. there are parts, I'm from California, there are parts of California where there are KKK members and hate yeah. groups. I mean, everywhere is never going to be wholly progressive or wholly conservative. Right. So I think, it, I love that you mentioned that. I think it's important to highlight that and, and to also show that, because I know a lot of the messages are like, see you and your husband as like the white savior. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of break that down as well. Yeah. You said that you're close to the adoptive parents or, mm-hmm. or they're commenting. So th- there's not this idea where it's like the black family wasn't good enough, quote unquote, to right. take care of Zadie, but the white parents are good enough. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that white savior. Cause that is something that, you know, especially people that are against kind of white parent adoption of black children kind of go back to that whole white savior thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was one of our biggest fears going into the process, you know, that mm-hmm. if we did adopt a child of color, that people would see that 
as us trying to be white savers or prove our holiness, you know, or mm-hmm. our, our privilege, you know. Um, right. And so we didn't want to do that. But we also in the adoption process, you learn so much about the stats of children who are in the foster care system, you know, about mm-hmm. the numbers of children who need to be adopted. Um, and we just didn't feel like we should narrow down and just say, we will only adopt a white baby, you know, Mm -hmm. because there are going to always be children that aren't white that need adoption. And right now, as it sits, there just are not enough of people in color of color in the adoption Mm -hmm. um, world, you know, whether that is or foster care world as just a foster parent or an adoptive parent. And so there's a gap there, you know, so who's going to step into that gap until there's enough people like, you know, should Zadie have gone into the foster care system until more black people or people of color stepped up? No one says no to that question. Right. Right. Um, that's that's a it's a short term problem right now that was there's has to be an answer for. But we do have to have a long term plan, you know, with conversations of how do we educate and help and, you know, just bring interest to more people about the adoption process so that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, it's not the same conversation. But we just felt like as as a young couple who didn't have other children who lives in an area that is, that is diverse, our neighborhood is only 35% white, which coming from where I do in the South, that's very that's very rare to be in a neighborhood kind of like that where it's very mm-hmm. diverse. Um, but that's the gift to being a military family because it's diverse as well. But, you know, oh, wow. yeah. we, um, we have a lot of opportunity and I guess lack of pride to say like, we know we're going to need help. I, I mean, well, we literally had a conversation with a black couple of a couple that are friends of us and asked if they thought we could do a decent job raising a black child before we would say yes to it because, and and they're the kind of people that would have checked us real quick and been like, you know what? No, because we've had conversations, not about necessarily adoption, but just in the state of the world that I know that they would have been honest because of the conversations and fears that they've had about their own children. And so, you know, those are the people now that we have as like culture guides for us that I can call, you know, about hair for Zadie or, you know, about, you know, when situations like Ahmed Aubrey happen, you know, what are the conversations that you're having with your children now? Or what would you tell me to kind of make note of? So as Zadie gets older, I become, and we become more aware. And so, you know, going Mm -hmm. in and through all of that, people don't, of course, see a lot of that process. You know, we knew that the white saver flag would be something that was flown at us from the very beginning. Um, but we've tried to be open about our education process for ourselves and also the adoption process in general, because I think people just genuinely don't understand that there are just simply not enough people as a whole adopting. But um, within that demographically, you know, there's not enough people of color. And so some children will have to be adopted outside of their race. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. But ultimately, we were actually chosen by Zadie's mother, her biological mother. And we were only like our profile was only shown to Zadie's mother. You know, we weren't in the waiting process a long time. And so as spiritual people, we we certainly believe that, you know, God had lined things up just the way they're supposed to be because there was just weird connections that she and I just really hit it off with. And we're, I mean, she came over and spent the weekend with us for Zadie's birthday and we just chilled on the couch after she went to bed and we were talking about like the hits we were both bumping in high school. You know, it's just, it's very different than I would think people imagine adoption like, or what it might've been like 20, 30 years ago when there were really terrible situations where babies and children were snatched away from families or, you know, taken away and then given or placed with white families who kind of got a chip on their shoulders of saying, you know, we're not racist. We have a black child or we have a child from right. X place. Um, Which is the number one okay. like racist thing. It's like, I have a black friend. I have a black oh, child. Such a cop yeah. Out. yeah. Such a cop right. out. Right. To me, that's a sign, you know, with people that they're, they've not done any work. Like, like they're the people Mm -hmm. who probably need to do the most work because 
they are not aware of the subtleties things like they're they will never say the n-word you know they'll never admittedly be homophobic or whatever their thing is but if a black guy walks by at the gas station they're going to lock the door uh exactly and they're not going to see that that as a problem at all that's yeah, the subtle racism. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're not trying to become more aware. And that's the those are the most concerning people to me. Absolutely. And and I think what you said was very interesting was that whole the way that adoption is seen. Like if you if you turned on Lifetime channel, you've seen those horror stories of the adoptive mom coming back and trying to take her kid yeah. or vice versa. And it's always like these stories of like kind of these adoptive moms, and it's such a like misogynistic view of women yeah. and childbirth uh-huh. and adoption. So how did you navigate, like, again, like when you say, even though I'm a very like open-minded person, when I think of like the adoptive mom and you sitting and talking, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. cause I'm like, there's this idea where it's like you adopt, you give up your child and then you separate. Yeah. So it's like, it's so interesting to me that then it's like, she's coming over and it's so comfortable. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got there? Cause yeah. that's not, Correct me if I'm wrong. That's not the norm. It's actually becoming more of the norm. And I think there's always Mm -hmm. been circumstances where it has been. Um, But most states and most places now require um, open adoptions, being that there's at least some sort of ability to have communication because there is such high rates of uh, mental illness or just, I mean, strictly, I mean, sadly, suicide among adopted children um, and issues, you know, once they turn 18 and they're old enough to do the research themselves to figure out who their parents are, because for so many decades, you know, they were all closed. Like, even if the adoptive Mm -hmm. parent wanted to try to make the connection, they didn't have the ability to. Um, And so things have really transformed in, in that way. But I think a lot of the stigma is still there. And people also have to... I think keep in mind that people choose to place a child for adoption for so many reasons, you know, um, and one of them being, of course, a financial way, um, but it, that's not all of it. I mean, as we have learned in the last year, looking at the political, you know, culture that we had and things going on with social injustice, there's so many mm-hmm. factors into what goes into privilege or what goes into opportunity. And then there's some really sad and unfortunate realities, which you kind of addressed about misogyny and living in a patriarchal culture. And so if a woman finds herself in a situation where she is pregnant and she doesn't have the resources or support, um, whether that is for a multitude of reasons or it's simply not the season that she chose, you know, to, to be a parent. Um, adoption placement is something that they can choose, obviously outside of um, abortion or, you know, keeping it for them or trying to keep it and then knowing that there's a chance that they could go into the system. And I think that's a fear right. for a lot of women. I, I don't like to speak to Zadie's biological mom's specific situation um, just because I don't believe it's my story to tell. Now, you know, if she hears this and she's like, girl, I will go tell my story, then I will be happy to hook y'all up. But, um, awesome. but it's, it's, just, it's not my story. So I don't speak to her specifics, but she, like many other women who choose to place a baby, it's just not the right time. And that could be because of money. That could be because of resource. That could be because they have other children, and they know if they have one more, that um, that that is going to put them in a harder place. But from wh- right. from what I've learned, is a lot of women who choose to place a child for adoption. You know, they're on their kind of come up, and they're making a comeback for themselves in a bad situation, they were on the way up and they were, you know, in college, you know, going back to school or finally finishing the degree, or they just landed the job that they wanted, you know, and after years and years of trying to work out of whatever situation they were either born into or found themselves in. And um, they just knew that they couldn't start all over. Cause you know, when, becoming a parent, you know, of course, having a child is expensive, but as a woman or, and more so as a single woman who has children or finds herself pregnant, you've got to take in consideration childcare. And as someone who's recently just Googled that to learn, I'm like, 
who in the world could afford to pay $2,000 a month for childcare and pursue exactly. and pursue a career? And so I think a lot of women that choose adoption now, just it's not because they want their child to have better. It's just because the child needs different right now. It's, a, it's more of a timing issue than a solely a resource issue issue. And I think people always see it as resource. Um, and then now with the ability to have open adoptions, it's not like you're ha- choosing to place that baby in that door shut forever. You know, you're able to cultivate a relationship in whatever capacity you want. Now ours is a little unique in just how close we are to everyone in her family. Um, and that's not the norm. Hopefully it maybe can become the norm because it does do so much for the child developmentally just to never have to wonder, you know, well, who is, who's my biological mom or where are they at? Or what's the story? You know, Zeddy will never have to wonder. I can say, just hold on one second. You know, let me call mama J if you got a question about this, you know, if she's doing a school project on her family story or whatever. Um, and I'm so grateful this for that. Awesome. And yeah. I will attribute it to just the direction the world is is going and the ability for people to see that we, and that's why I used to hatch a lot of time, like modern family, like we are just a modern family that includes, you know, Zadie's biological family. And that's just our normal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's awesome. And I think that the way that you're perceiving it and approaching it is, I think, part of the reason that it's all working. What about like me being, you know, Middle Eastern in California, my mom wearing a headscarf. I'm very cognizant of the looks, the whispers, the comments Mm -hmm. that are like kind of like you're like, wait a second, like an hour later, you're like, wait, that comment wasn't great. So talk to me a little bit. I know that you said that, you know, you're in a town that's, you know, a bit more progressive in the South. Mm -hmm. But how do you how did you navigate the looks, the comments? Oh, wait a second. There are two white parents, a black child. Cause at the end of the day, people are still in that world. Like I had an ex-boyfriend who was black mm-hmm. and in, in LA we would get stopped yeah. and people would praise me for being in a biracial relationship yeah. in front of him. So what's the, like, what's Can you tell me something like some of those stories? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, my husband was deployed for this first six months of her life. So it was just me and her and it was a pandemic. So we weren't oh. getting out too much. Um, mm-hmm. But when we did get out and I got some looks, it was more of, I think people saw me as a really young mom because, mm. um, and it was almost more like a, a pity kind of thing. And like, I will never oh, forget. God. I didn't have my rings on um, because we were just running to the grocery store. I needed to pick up a few things. And if you remember at the height of the pandemic, there was a certain amount of time that people with newborns could go or like elderly that was like safer, you know, like there was a window. Um, oh, and okay. so I was like, Oh, well, let us run then. So we don't run risk running into any extra germs, you know, back in like last March and April. And right. this older lady just kind of walked by and like, I literally watched her look at my hands and then look at the baby in the car seat and look at me and just kind of give me the look of like, Oh, bless you. Like you poor child, oh, you know, kind of thing. And so it was more <laughs> of stuff like that, especially at the beginning when she was so tiny. Um, because, you know, I think being by myself, people would just assume I had gotten pregnant. Um, but if you got up close to Zadie and people would also say, well, you know, clearly it wasn't mine, you know, at the same time too, but right. you know, you just get all kinds of looks in that direction. So that was, it was more disheartening that people would look at me that kind of way, but I would say I was prepared for that. And you'll probably laugh at this, but I'm, I have a nephew who's was born when I was 14. He's the redhead teenager that I show sometimes on TikToks. So There's the sweet uh-huh. video of him and Zadie. And so the way that my mom let me date, Justin, because he's older than I am, was if we took the baby with us. And so I was 15 years old and we would take this redheaded baby and I had long black hair at the time and Justin had dark hair (laughs) and he had an eight inch mohawk. And people would give us all those looks, you know, 
man, this is, you know, right. 13 years ago. And people would ask us or make comments of like, oh, your baby's so cute. And at 15 years old and Justin was 17, he would make the comment of just like, well, thank you so much. When I was ready to be like, what? Like, excuse me, you think that came out of what? You know, like that was my reaction. But he was like, you know, these people don't matter. Don't pay me any mind. Just say thank you and move on. And so like in a weird way, we kind of been prepared for that as teenagers. Like you just know kind of what to expect in a small way. Of course, races adds another layer to it. Of course. But um, I'll never forget shopping at one of my favorite stores down in Nashville, uh, which is about 40 minutes from us. And a lady kind of looked at me and said, oh, is this your baby? And I said, yes, ma'am, it is. And she said, oh, that's so precious. Um, I think it's great that you would adopt a black one. And I was like, oh, no. like I had gone to the PetSmart and chose between a chocolate lab and a yellow lab. You know, like, Jesus you know, like that yeah. kind of mentality. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the hardest ones to me is more of, I hate pity more than I hate people that are almost hateful. You get what I yes, mean? Yes, agreed. Like, it's agreed. the pity I can't pity, handle. Like, yeah, pity stays yes. with you. Like, where I think that the hate kind of, like, it, it kind of goes off your back a little bit. Yeah, I know. I've had people say, oh, you're so lucky. Like, you know, I, I feel sorry for you, you know, being Middle Eastern during these times. But you look white, so that's a good oh, thing. Gosh. And it's like. So it's just, it, yeah, I mean, those kind of backhanded yeah. comments. And for people who don't know, like in the South saying bless you, basically like bless your heart basically means like fuck you. It's like a really nice way of saying yeah, that. It's like, like, yeah. She's always saying like, oh, well, that was a good try, but you should have tried a little harder, you know, kind of thing. Right. I mean, I even got asked um, once in a comment, but a friend of ours got asked at a nail salon back home in North Carolina, you know, asked if we got a discount because we adopted a black baby. And then she made the comment because um, we had done a fundraiser at the end because we didn't expect the process to go as quickly as it did. Um, and we did a fundraiser at the end and there. And her comment was, well, if she didn't get a discount and she had to spend all that money, I would at least waited and got one that I wanted, you know, to imply that <clears throat> she wouldn't have wanted. And there's no way that we could have wanted a black child. And so my friend's mom, who was wow. actually just a bystander in the salon when the comment was made, checked her real, real quick. Um, and so I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, those those things are, are not new to us or anyone else for that matter. I mean, I've got a comment recently on TikTok that asks if we get paid by the government for having adopted a black baby. Uh, oh god and i was like what like a we get some sort of stimulus check every month because we were willing to take in a child of a different race and i was uh, and i was just kind of dumbfounded just because oh. there's these are the rumors and the kind of antiquated beliefs associated with adoption that i think also perpetrate a white saver complex from the other side of like oh, well, you know, they do it because it's incentivized or they do it to prove that they aren't something. But when you realize the stats of adoption and you realize there it's not an incentive um, to do it, 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 it kind of um, makes that comment even shallower than it even already is. I just, I always say I'm like I, these keyboard warriors. I just feel like they can say anything, you yes. know, like it's just, and none of it's based in fact. And then you see all those people reply to it and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just, it's like, listen, we could sit here and talk about white privilege and racism in this country. Cause let's be honest, the foundation of America is racism, yeah. you know? So we can sit here and talk about it until we're blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is, you are living your life with your husband and you've created a safe space for Zadie. She looks happy. And listen, I don't know, like I can't confirm she's happy, but based on the videos, based on talking to you, I know that you're doing your best to foster an environment for your daughter that's safe. You know about black hair and you're not the only one. I mean, Kim Kardashian, who's a celebrity with all this help and all these nannies, she literally has similar problems with her children. She says, I didn't know how to do black hair. I had to learn. It's all the same stuff. And I think, and you know, for the hate that you get, she also gets the same hate, you know, do you wish you didn't have black children? It's like, you know, and, and there is this idea that it's less than, but again, that's just white privilege speaking. Like, 
even if you're a person of color and you're telling you as a white person you should you shouldn't adopt a black child that's also white privilege that's also seeing things through a white society because you're again seeing things in black and white so i think it's it's really admirable what you're doing and i think that all you can do is is put one foot in front of the other and live truthfully and like you said through god and you're doing that so i i think i i really there's a video of your husband dancing with sadie and he looks happy she looks happy like I think it's important that people focus on that as well. And my next question, I want to ask you, any celebrities um, message you or comment, anyone that we would recognize? Um, Well, on the first viral um, post from Tariq, Snoop Dogg had replied to it. And that was one of the ones where I was like, oh, my gosh, there are more more famous people than him that see this. You know, so that was, of course, kind of a concern. But all he commented was thinking, dot, 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 you know. And that could be taken in several directions. He, I mean, he could be thinking like, Tariq, like you're making a mountain out of a molehill here, you know, kind of thing. Or are we reading too much into this? Because Snoop Dogg is right. someone who who will push back on things or say like, man, you know, we're focusing our energy on the wrong place. Um, mm-hmm. But I, from a very long time, if you remember Christy Costner Romano from Even Stevens, Kim Possible, um, yes, she's been, she's actually followed me since before I ever hit a hundred thousand, and Amazing. she's always someone quickly that'll offer support and you know just you know acknowledge that, like you mentioned at the very beginning, I didn't choose to become you know famous or to subject myself to this. I, I approach that in the same way that I've approached all social media, and it's just it's taken off here. You know, so for people to make mm-hmm. this kind of comments, it has kind of been wild. Now, I, I have taken a lot of time away from some comment threads, especially on those specific posts for my own, you know, mental health, just because um, I know I know in my heart that I'm doing the right things and I know the right people around me um, know that, too. So I don't allow myself to yes. dig that hole because I don't think that's going to help anybody, you know, to get into a mental slump that will affect my performance as a parent, you know, or my ability to love Zadie um, and play with her. So, you know, I just don't let myself go there too much, but I, I'm sure there are others because I've had people send me screenshots and clips of things. I'm also someone and my nephew is going to be so embarrassed if he listens to this, that I just don't know a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I, I'm someone who lives with my blinders on. I know my success is my success and I'm my only competitor. And so like, I'm not someone that consumes a ton of content, whether that is television, YouTube, whatever. Um, And so that's why when people would see things or they send me stuff, I'm like, I have no idea what this is or who they are. And I I recognize Christy Carson's Romano because, you know, as a teenager, I did consume a lot of her content, but you know, I, I live in that lane and in my lane, and I just don't worry kind of outside of that, which I think is what al- allows us to keep doing what we're doing and to not get consumed out of it. Because like you said, everyone and everyone gets these comments. I mean, poor Gabrielle Union gets these comments. And I mean, she doesn't need to prove to anybody how qualified she is, you know, to take care of her children's hair. And yet she receives the same kind of comments that I do. And so, you know, to me, in some ways, it just shows that it's not just p- me that people are upset with or have an issue with, as you mentioned. It's kind of an ideology as a whole that we as a society have to work through. Absolutely. And that's not going to happen overnight, no. as we see. Like, these things are systematic and it takes time. And I think, like you said, what you're doing is... is pushing that forward in, in certain steps. And listen, if Snoop Dogg is listening to this, um, you need to hire Zadie to tap dance in a music listen, video. Let's make that happen. Yes. Well, I did. <laughs> so this is one of the wild things. Growing up as a performer, as a tapper, I remember watching, you remember, So You Think You Can Dance at the very beginning. Of course. And um, back when all the dance shows were big. And on Ellen, she had the syncopated ladies come on. I don't remember if you remember them, but it was an all black female tap group. And they would tap to like Rihanna. Like it it was totally different than when people think of like Broadway style tap and just killing it. And I can remember watching their YouTube videos in my friend's bedroom and trying to do their dances. And I got a DM from Maudie Poo that is one of the leads of it. 
in support and she reposted it and she's actually invited us to come out. I believe she's in LA right now um, to do like a mommy daughter tap class. And I was like, listen, you know, if there's going to be some good to come from it and Zadie gets to have more mirrors, more strong black women in front of her and to see how to handle this, you know, and if the way we handle it now is going to set a precedent for, you know, how she handles it, later i mean she's gonna be a strong woman she can handle it herself but i don't want her to see that we allow them to take our energy and how women especially come together at times like this and say no we got you like we're on your team we're in your support we'll help you navigate things like this and that's honestly what i just appreciate the most from my followers because i mean they they come in really hot really quickly to offer support and people I think sometimes just click my comment threads to see if it's going to be a a hot spot or not um and people are shocked like I got a mannequin in last week just practice some new hairstyles for Zadie and several people commented saying came to the comments just to see what people were saying and it was all support you know someone was like I wish I had a bra as supportive as this comment thread and so you know that's the power of women I think that's especially the power of black women, which, you know, foundationally in this country have just carried the team and kept the team moving forward. And so, you know, I'm going to have to continue to rely on them. And so I I do just want to shout out all the women who take the time to come to our defense that slide into the DMs with help and support and education, whether that's in, you know, sending me information or willing to give us prayers, good vibes. um, Because I think those that are willing to stand in the gap for you or jump into the arena at times like this, you know, that's, those are the people I look to when I think about the world that he's going to grow up in. And I feel just a little bit better. Absolutely. I mean, that's the hope that, you know, we, we can change a society with each generation and move forward, you know, um, that's very important. Um, just to wrap up, I want you to, um, I would love if you could give advice to, you know, parents that are adopting, whether they're adopting a white child or a black child, that doesn't really matter, but what's your advice kind of moving forward? And also like, how do you deal with like mommy shaming? Mm -hmm. And, you know, yours is obviously a next level of it. Cause it's like, Oh, you're white parents, you have a black child. I mean, there's like levels to it, but what's your like advice or, you know, moving forward. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, first of all, with the adoption process, I tell people that you've got to start, you know, obviously if you're a spiritual person in a spiritual place to make sure you're in the right headspace, because a lot of people won't be in the right headspace because they've come out of a long season of infertility and they just want a baby period, you know, and if that's where your head's at, then you're not ready to adopt. Uh, because that's keeping yourself at the center of the narrative and your needs. And in the adoption process, you quickly learn that as the adoptive parents, you know, your needs kind of come last, especially throughout the process. You know, first being the child, the second being the biological mothers, and then yours. So that ultimately the well-being of the family unit, unit, a modern family unit, you know, has a very healthy foundation. So if your headspace isn't right, um, and you just want a baby and, and you don't really care how you get the baby, that's an issue because there are situations where adoption isn't ethical. You know, there's a lot of education that needs to go into it first. And so the second thing is to, with the talking about education, spend time learning about the three triads of adoption, being birth mother or expectant mother, the adoptive child and the adoptive parents and make sure you're listening to each of their perspectives. You know, what was it like from their experiences? What do they wish their parents had done differently? Uh, What do they wish um, about their story, you know, could have been handled differently Um, and, and start learning first. And then thirdly, once you've done those things, your head's right, you know, and you are willing to receive all the information and growth process. Then also just make sure you're saving your money. It is a financial commitment, especially if you're looking to go through domestic infant adoption. A lot of the cost comes from, you know, legal fees and making sure things are done in an ethical way to take care of the expectant mother and make sure that, you know, she's not incurring additional cost. And so make sure that you are taking time to save up. We save for years going into the adoption process because you don't want to be learning about the knee deep, nitty gritty 
parts of adoption with trauma education and counseling and how to have a open relationship in adoption while you're also stressed about, you know, figuring out an extra $7,000. That's not going to put you in the best place to have a newborn mentally. Um, So those are kind of the three areas I say, make sure your mind and your heart are right, get on the education um, and really from all the sides of the education process, and then make sure that you are aware of the financial commitment. There are a lot of adoption grants and um, assistance through nonprofits out there, but you of course want to go in with some confidence that you have a little bit of a cushion room as well. And then as far as mom shaming goes, man, if people have advice for me, I will take some because it, it is always going to be personal when someone talks about how you raise your child, how you love your child, you know? Um, and I'm a very thick skinned person. I'm not someone that, you know, opinions of others affect me a ton. Um, I think that just grows up being the only cousin of mine, you know, that was plus size and, you know, they were (laughs) in plus size by, you know, context um, growing up in the two thousands. You know, they were never Mm -hmm. ugly to me at all. They've never shown me anything but love. But, I, you know, from other people outside looking in, I definitely felt like, you know, the ugly stepsister, even though I wasn't. And so when you grow up in that world, and I'm sure you know all about this, you you kind of grow a tolerance to bullying. um, Or you're like, oh, yeah, you think that phases me at this point. Get out of here. Like, try again. Um. But when it's about your child, you know, and I get annoyed sometimes with people's lack of attempt to see if I'm doing anything to learn about Zeddy's hair. And people instead will just comment, fix your hair. I'm like, did you go look at any other videos? You know, did you take any time to check out anything else or based on this seven second video of us playing outside, you're going to make one comment, you know, that kind of irks me just because I am putting in the work and to have to not have that work acknowledged um, as a words of affirmation girl sucks. Um, but also making sure that when people give you nice comments, reply to them, grow in relationship with them. Because as someone who's experienced, you know, level 12 internet bullying and trolls and death threats over the last few weeks, it is the people that I had built a relationship with over the last 10, 11 months that were the quickest to come to our defense and to encourage us. And I think had we not built relationships with all those positive comments over, you know, months, we would have kind of felt alone and kind of in the corner when the bullying came. Um, So I know it's hard to focus on the good stuff and I'm not telling you to ignore the negative. A lot of times there's something to learn from it, but really try to grow in relationship with the people that supported you, there's always going to be haters. Like there's not one person I can think of on this planet that there is not some sort of, as you mentioned, keyboard warrior mafia, you know, trying to go after Mm -hmm. nobody's untouchable. So I don't think there's any way to get around it. It's just, what are you going to give your energy to? And I'm choosing to give my energy to the people who come with love and respect and good vibes Um, doesn't mean I won't check somebody every once in a while, but who I'm giving my energy to are the people that are loving on us because we want to reciprocate that. Absolutely. And I think it's so important that you said that because I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, I only have a hundred followers, so I'll be safe online. It's like there, someone's going to find you. You're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And like, no matter how many followers you have, someone's going to find you. Um, I've loved talking to you. And I just want to quickly plug, um, I know you have a TikTok masterclass, um, which I think is great for anyone who wants to get on TikTok or build up their followers. I mean, obviously, you know what you're doing. You're almost at half a million followers. So you really kind of are the right person to teach that. And um, tell us where people can follow you so they can see the masterclass and keep in touch. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So I'm Kendall Mariah on all platforms. The exact same, no weird extra things in it. And it is Kendall like Kendall Jenna and Mar- Mariah like Mariah Carey. Fun fact, I was named after Mariah Carey, but Kendall Jenner is younger than I am. So she can't take that. Um, <laughs> I love that. It's always good to be named after Mariah yes, Carey. I love that. Okay. Um, it also helps people with spelling. 
So find me there on TikTok, of course, Instagram, my website's kindlemoreye.com. And, and I'd love to help anyone trying to grow their, not just their following, but build a brand and cultivate it in a personal way. Because the great thing is, is as life has changed a lot for me personally in the last five years, you know, to go from traveling, you know, 75 flights a year to being at home with a newborn and a baby. I know there's a lot of people in similar situations and pivoting and trying to grow a brand. I think this year has just been proof that things around you may stand still, but you can keep growing, moving forward and building a life that you love. And so I'm just here to help people do that. I love that. That's that's like that's the perfect masterclass for people to take. I love that. Um, and um, thanks everyone for being here with uh, Kendall, Mariah, and I as we discuss all of this. And um, this is part of our TikTok find series. So I'm gonna keep trying to bring you guys these amazing profiles that you know stand out among the crowd. So thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.